You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 9, covering Balance of Terror and Shore Leave. Hi, folks. We're back. How are you doing? Again. Uh, Not that we can hear you, but... No, but uh, we assume... We're going to assume you're fine. Yeah. We, how are you? We are fine. <laughs> that is a catchphrase for another show. Um, but this week we have an awesome episode and a not-so-awesome episode. And a ridiculous episode. And as it turns out, uh, I got the awesome one, so uh, yay me. <laughs> um, so we started with uh, Balance of Terror. Um we open with Captain Kirk presiding over the wedding of two junior crewmen, both of whom you know will make it out of this episode just fine. The wedding is cut short by the announcement that several Federation outposts have been destroyed by the mysterious Romulans. Despite the fact that they've clearly destroyed at least three entire outposts already, not to mention the fact that nobody's actually seen a Romulan, the Enterprise is under orders not to engage. So the Romulans are apparently allowed to kill as many humans as they want unchallenged, because otherwise there'd be a war. Um, all right. Anyway, so a fan goddamn tastic chase scene ensues. We get the first appearance of the Romulan cloaking device, treated with all the what-the-fuck mystery that a situation like that deserves. Uh, we get a glimpse at some Romulans, uh, with whom Earth fought a bloody war but never actually saw face-to-face some hundred years ago. And, oh god, they have pointy ears and bowl cuts, so naturally we need a guy in the Chekhov seat to question everyone's orders and accuse Spock of collaborating with the enemy. Turns out Romulans and Vulcans share a common ancestry, which is something every Trekkie worth his Tranya knows now but was a bit of a shock if this is your first pass around the galaxy. Oh, and the Romulan commander, played by Mark Lennard, who will later rather famously play Spock's dad, Sarek. Anyway, the Enterprise and Romulan Warbird play cat and mouse for the better part of an hour. War nearly happens a bunch of times, but ultimately Kirk wins, because Kirk always wins. Oh, and that dude who almost got married? Yeah, he dies. It's a, good, it's a lovely episode. It, it really is. Um, yeah. Probably my favorite one so far from season one. Probably In the running for my favorite episode overall of season one, I would say. Mm. Just, uh, it, it took that tension that was in, uh, the Corbin Might Maneuver, where there's a lot of, a lot of tense waiting around, a lot of on the bridge, like what's gonna happen next, that really, that Cold War, you know, feeling of doom could be right around the corner, and it kinda elevated it, like the stakes were a lot higher, and things were, like, much more, much more tense. It was just- Oh yeah, well, and I mean, everyone's worried about the war happening, and- Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I, I just, I really enjoyed it. Everything about it, like, I had a couple of minor problems, but overall, Everything about it was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but like I said in my little summary there, uh, I understand that they weren't trying to provoke a war, but they're just letting the Romulans go around and murder humans. Yeah, exactly. Well, we don't want to have another war, so just, just let them do whatever they want. Well, they kill a whole ton of us. That's okay. They are scary. <laughs> we think. They have invisible ships. <laughs> that is – and like I said, that is that is a very cool thing that the first appearance of that should be like, oh, my God. Mm. They can they can appear from out of nowhere, shoot stuff, and then disappear again. That's some scary shit. Oh, their ships are also really badass looking. They are. Um, like I love that sort of big flying saucer thing with the the side things, and then they get the big bird on the bottom. Yeah, and uh, and we were talking about this. The uh, the next gen era ones um, are basically that same design. It's like they stack two on top of each other, and then put a little like bird head on top of it or mm. in front of it, which. I, I like that they're respectful of, of the old designs, but they, they still moved them forward. But yeah, they, yeah, great ships. I know I go on and on about the, the Blu-ray, the restored effects, but really in this one, best ones so far by a lot. 
just all the space battle stuff, hiding in a comet. Uh, there's a, there's a point where the, the ship is like, I guess lost its like inertial controls or whatever. And it's just sort of listing around in space and really, really great stuff. Really worth. Yeah. I, I, I got a shot of the enterprise sort of sideways, <laughs> you know, it's, it's spinning. <laughs> See the the when that when it happened to the Romulan ship that actually looked really good for the for the 60s like it was sort of doing that listless spinning but the Enterprise they just took a picture of the Enterprise and then sort of uh, yeah, rotated like, 45 degrees. Yeah, exactly. Look, yeah, whereas, it's broken now. Whereas in the uh, in the restored version they had a sh- a shot full on and then it it moved. Mm. So you get the feeling of it's not where it's supposed to be anymore, which yeah. is nice. Um I really like the idea that uh that Earth, when we first went into space, the technology was a lot more primitive, and, and it's conceivable you could fight a war without ever meeting your opponent. Like, oh yeah, they didn't have visual communication. They 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 pissed off these guys. They shot at each other, but they and they signed a treaty over like subspace radio. Mm-hmm. I think that's really neat, and I think it's very cool that this is really their first appearance by rights. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just like it, the idea of the of the old. Uh, Starfleet yelling into Battlestar Galactica style phones. <laughs> well, that might have been what it's like, and they're using mm-hmm. nukes like they did on on Battlestar Galactica. They mentioned that they mentioned we used primitive, you know, old nukes. They used those words exactly. We're using <laughs> nukes like on Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> on what, sir? Never mind. Starfleet was a big fan of that show. <laughs> I, I really, really enjoyed, like I say, the tension. I, it felt like one of those old like World War II uh, submarine silent running kind of things. Oh yeah. Which is the same thing I think that that um, Hunt for Red October fed on years later, and it had the same kind of feel. It had like the two commanders never meet. Like at the very end, they meet, and there's a there's mm-hmm. a great little speech and all that. But um, and we'll get to that. Oh but, yeah. But um, before that, it's basically these guys trying to out outthink each other, outrun each other, and the I don't know if, did the Romulan commander get a name? I mean, we kept calling him Sarek because it was yeah. Lenore, I don't but, remember because we kept calling him Sarek. Right. But he and Kirk were very evenly matched. They really respected each other. And it was like that whole chess game thing. It was like, what's he going to do now? If I do this, then the next move is his and he'll do this. So I need to do this instead. And yeah, was, I, lo- I love that sort of mutual respect. Just like, he's well, he won't do this because he's smarter than that. Right. And and that never faltered. It was never mm-hmm. like, and it was never like that easy demonizing the, the enemy. Like, you know, they're, they're evil. They're monsters. We must stop them. No, it's always like, look, we're, we're both kind of stuck in this situation and we got to do what we got to do. But, uh. At least I have a worthy opponent, and that was yeah. cool. And there was some really badass stuff. There was, at one point, the Romulan commander wanted the Enterprise to think that they had been destroyed. Uh, the, the ship was cloaked, and but they, the Enterprise was still hanging around, and they're like, if they see debris, maybe they'll back off. And so they shot a bunch of debris out their torpedo tubes or whatever, and a corpse. Mm-hmm. Uh, his friend, who had been there and advising him for most of the episode, had died uh, in the battle. And he's like, shoot him out there. And it's like, whoa, really? Like yeah, if they uh, if they see a body, maybe they'll think, oh well, we we must have hit them, so let's go home. Yep, <laughs> it's badass. Yeah, I, I, and not I, stupid badass. Not like, well, I'd better kill one of my own men to show how evil I am. No, he had he had this older guy at his side the whole time, like advising him, and it was it was nicely echoed by Kirk getting advice from Bones. Like he's got an older guy, you know, advising him as well. Oh yeah, this is one of the differences between Star Trek and Star Wars. This is this is a good point. Although, you know, Star Wars is playing in, like, ridiculous broad strokes. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying we get a lot less mincing, cackling villains. Yeah. But, you know, there's really not supposed to be good and evil in Roddenberry's future. So that's, yeah. you know, that's fine. Just um, people doing a job. The, uh, the, the wedding thing I thought was nice. Um, mm-hmm. 
Apparently, I, I learned this from Stephen Fry's QI, though. Apparently, ship's captains cannot uh, perform weddings. That is actually a fallacy invented by television and movies and stuff. But uh, I, bu- I buy it in the future when everyone has that big, like that disdain for religion. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, what's really nice is the the speech that uh, Kirk gives at the very beginning. Uh, since the days of the early wooden sailing ships, blah 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 blah. Um, Picard gives almost identically. In next gen, when he's marrying yeah. uh, O'Brien to his horrible wife, which I thought that's a that's a really cool uh, yeah, sort of callback, just like a really subtle callback too. Yeah, not like, hey, look what we're doing. <laughs> As Captain Kirk said in the episode "Balance of Terror," <laughs> I um I really like the Romulans. I like they didn't call huge attention. Like there was the one bigot guy who thought, oh, well, Spock's obviously a you know collaborator because yeah, they're the same. We need- we need an annoying checkoff again this week. And that that was probably my only complaint that I'm getting sick of that character. You got Sulu yeah. who's always got a cool head, he always knows how to handle himself. And then the other guy in the other seat is always freaking out and not following orders and yelling at people and well, there's such a high turnover for that job. <laughs> when they finally get checkoff, it's like, all right, that's that's fine. We'll just You know what? <laughs> He's fucking irritating as hell, but at least he does at least he doesn't yell at anyone. Or at least we can't understand him when he does. <laughs> Why wink woo woo Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Shut up. So do you, so do you really want to keep this uh, Mr. Chekhov on board? <laughs> of course I do, Spock. Look how funny he is. <laughs> that's pro <laughs> dance, Russian dance. And he does later on. Uh, let's let's once again let's uh, let's savor our Chekhovless uh, first season here. <laughs> I feel so sorry for Chekhov when he finally when we finally get around to him. Yeah, well, we got a lot of we got a lot of axes to grind with that guy. Oh. Um, but but overall, I liked they didn't really call that much attention to the different like the similarities between the Vulcans and Romulans. Like Spock says, yeah, they probably left Vulcan you know a long time ago, and they're probably related to us. That's it. Like it, it wasn't like. It wasn't like Enterprise or, or Voyager, like the later shows where they decided they had to give you long exposition about every tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, they're they're probably related. So anyway, let's blow them up. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that. I, I yeah. like I like just moving forward instead of having to explain every tiny little thing. Yeah, it's just, it's just we have new aliens. They kind of look like Spock. We have things to do. Move on. Yeah, and I like um you you were saying you you weren't a, a huge fan of the lower crewmen on the uh, the, the warbird having the, the little like football helmets like the leather football helmets. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the the football helmets. I mean, I get they're sort of going for a Rome thing with the Romulans even then. But yeah, uh, and I, I liked I liked their uniforms. I didn't mind the helmets, and then it occurred to me, oh well, uh, Mark Lennard and his uh, his advisor guy are the only ones with actual pointed ears. <laughs> they're just trying to save money on uh, on uh, prosthetics. Yeah, we only have so many pointed ears to go around. Right. So, and Nimoy keeps yanking them off and throwing them away. So <laughs> it's in my contract, suckers. <laughs> also, I get to play. Also, I get to play the guitar later. <laughs> oh, I guess we'll pair that up with Michelle singing "Two Birds with One Stone." <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I really enjoy the Romans. I like the look of them. I like the way they act. I like the way they think. Um, and I I look forward to more stories with them. I know we get at least one really good story with them coming up. Mm-hmm. Maybe more. I I can't remember, but uh, so far they're off to a really great start. Um, one thing that really surprised me was this episode played out a lot, like a lot of the same beats as uh, the final act of Wrath of Khan. Oh yeah, like uh, chasing them through a sort of a, a hard to detect area of space, and Spock at one point actually comes in when uh, in a, in a dangerous area of the ship and and nearly sacrifices his life to to get things moving, and just it felt very similar. And, oh, luckily that'll never happen again, eh, Jim? <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. What are the odds of that? <laughs> never tell me the odds. 
but yeah, overall, just really, really fantastic. Everything I like about Star Trek. I mean, it had a villain, but not an evil villain. Yeah. And, and space battles and, but still that great, you know, what does it mean to be human stuff? And mm-hmm. just, uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And anything more on this one or is that, uh, I, I, I just hated, uh, Chekhov guys so much. Uh, Styles was his name. Yeah. Styles upon Styles. And I originally thought that he was, uh, the same character in Star Trek 3 who was the captain of the Excelsior. He was Captain yeah, Styles, but. That would have been a neat, uh, thing, but. Yeah, apparently he was a bit too- smarmy and he's like, oh, I can outsmart Kirk. And that would have yeah. been nice, but no, different guy, different spelling, apparently. Yeah. Too bad. Yeah. But yeah, Styles not great. They really need to stop using that device. Like, it's been okay once or twice, but it, it, we're done now. Or have it be the same guy so that we just keep having this asshole who keeps questioning Kirk's orders <laughs> instead of having a bunch of crew members who are all lined up to question Kirk's orders. I think after we finished watching this, you and I, were, I think we decided that Kirk shipped off every one of those guys to the same ship. Get to the hood. <laughs> the USS hood is just manned by all the women that Kirk slept with and is awkward to talk to now and, and Yeoman Rand and all the guys in the Chekhov seat who just won't. Stop questioning orders. So a yep. lot of malcontents with with real uh, problems with Kirk. And the captain's that cupcake guy from uh, the new from the new Star Trek movie. <laughs> Come with me, cupcake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else? Are you ready to move on? Uh, I think that's good. We can move on to uh, shore leave. Every time I hear shore leave, I think of that uh, <laughs> the, gay, <laughs> the gay sailor character from uh, Venture Brothers. Boom! Yummy. <laughs> so that said, Matt, shore leave. Shore leave. All right. Okay, so the Enterprise, sick of the rather busy last few months they've had since the series started, is looking for some place to take shore leave. Uh, they find the Camping Planet, made famous in the later seasons of Mystery Science Theater. Sulu and Bones go exploring and start seeing a lot of weirdness. Bones finds a giant furry being chased by a little girl, and Sulu finds an old police revolver, which he starts firing. More members of the crew start beaming down and seeing various other types of weirdness. Kirk's old rival Finnegan, who gives Riley a run for the most blatantly stereo- stereotypical Irishman in Star Trek, <laughs> appears to wrestle him, as does Kirk's old girlfriend Ruth, who also tries to wrestle him. <laughs> Spock, who has stayed on the ship, is getting weird readings from the planet. Meanwhile, the crew is, att- is being attacked by various types of stock footage, and the new gorgeous yeoman Barrows is almost sexually assaulted by Don Juan. But that's okay because then she hooks up with Bones. Or she would if Bones weren't then killed by the Black Knight, whom Kirk shoots with Sulu's pistol. Because this episode is insane. Also, the Black Knight is a mannequin or something. And then Kirk fights Finnegan in the longest fucking fight scene ever. Ugh. Really? You think Finnegan was going to try and put make him wear a pair of sunglasses? <laughs> and then Spock beams down and the two of them realize that the planet is manuf- manufacturing their fantasies for them. At this point, the planet's caretaker, an old man in a carpet, shows up and explains that the planet's a ju- that the planet will grant all their fantasies, and also that Bones is alive and he's hooked up with a pair of hookers. Caretaker offers the crew the chance to use the planet for shore leave, and Kirk take and Kirk takes them up on it. After being offered the chance to have sex with Ruth with Ruth again, oh, and Mister Spock's becoming more human every day again, or something. <laughs> ah, yes, we had to end with that great uh, hands on hips and laugh on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Like he goes on for like it's like thirty seconds of just <laughs> yeah with the, with the whimsical music. This this, yeah. this episode really really padded. Like you said, uh, that fight scene very evocative oh of They Live, God. which you know came later, but still yeah, just endless fights for no reason. All the, they're just fighting for for bragging rights of who won. Like there's nothing yep. at stake in this fight. And like <clears throat> Bones just died. Yep. 
and Kirk has no idea that he's okay and he's going to come back or whatever. He just he spends like twenty minutes chasing this leprechaun all over oh, the planet. God, what is it with Star Trek and Irishmen? It's like, seriously. Have you ever seen an episode of the Simpsons Halloween special where they have that leprechaun where he just shows up, and goes, oh, yeah, that's that's him. That's him, and to a lesser extent, Riley. Next week we're actually doing an episode, a couple of episodes with our friend Gav, who who lived in Ireland for quite some time. Um, I'm not entirely clear if he's Irish, but he's definitely spent a lot of time over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to ask him, like, if if this is particularly offensive to the Irish, if it's accurate, if, it, you know, like, what is the deal? Like, maybe he can give us some Irish insight because I just, I'm not, I don't get it, man. What is the apparently, problem? Apparently Gene Roddenberry had a huge bone to pick with the Irish. Maybe that's what Chief O'Brien was about, finally making it right. Yeah. You know what, guys? We're sorry. Here's a great character who you can love and, and respect and uh, yeah. a lot of and bad stuff. Gonna, gonna yeah. We're going to do horrible things to once a year because we still hate the Irish here at Star Trek. We're just more <laughs> subtle about it. Look out, Itchy. He's Irish. <laughs> there's um there's some good uh, comedy in this episode overall, Um, but really just there's about 20 minutes of good episode here and about 40 minutes of nothing. Yeah, what really sold this episode for me was Bones. He was oh, yeah. so fucking funny in this episode. And DeForest Kelly can sell a scene where it's it's not even written that funny. Like, there are some actually well-written scenes, but there's a few mm. where it's a little weak, but it's just his delivery and his timing and his, yep. his body language. Like, there's a there's a few times you pointed out where he can, like, he's sitting on a log and it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's just this weird ju- juxtaposition of their, like, their, uh, their Starfleet jumpsuits and a log. Yep. He just uh, He's sitting there on his communicator. Uh, Jim... But he I gets just, it. He he gets I, that he should be uncomfortable in this scenario because, like, I don't belong here. I'm a spaceman. <laughs> There's this great part right at the beginning where the rabbit shows up and, like, McCoy's all alone yeah. and it just sort of runs off. It's And it sounds like Snagglepuss. <laughs> well, I actually expected uh, – it's the voice I expected to come out of Kodos, actually. No, my paws and whiskers, the pain. <laughs> but – uh he runs off, and then a little girl who's supposed to be Alice shows up and says, Excuse me, sir, have you seen a rabbit walk by? And Bones just sort of points in the direction. Yep, it's it's that very classic, almost vaudeville-y. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Like, if you, if you were in an old cartoon, you would look at your drink, look back at the pink elephant, look at your drink again. You know, that kind of <laughs> sort of rub your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Pour out your drink, probably. <laughs> throw it away never again it was that same kind of broad strokes only it was funny like it was it was played well um and and it wouldn't surprise me to, to know that he came from that kind of background and yeah it was playing to his strengths the uh the, you mentioned alice there the, the brief yeah. appearance of, of uh lewis carroll's alice um the english accent that comes out of her there, there's a bit we do on our other podcast on, on sarcastic voyage um where you and i uh played this uh ridiculous little Englishman and his butler. And we do the worst possible English accents we can. This Alice was, she would have fit in well with Nick and Willikins. Yeah. Just (laughs) utterly, utterly ridiculous. Just not even, uh, not that I expect accuracy, mind you, but at least the Irishman, like we know what they are. Sir, have you seen Anne Rabbit walking by? (laughs) I don't care. Just on my way to the scullery. (laughs) Um, I liked, uh, when they're talking about, before they know about all the danger and everything at the beginning, they're talking to Spock about, uh, you know, we need to, we need, we need some shore leave. We need rest. And, uh, Spock makes the, the comment that, uh, I, I have no, no interest in running up and down on green grass. <laughs> Is that well, what you would... think humans do for fun, Spock? Is that, that's it, huh? 
Ah, uh, yes, Earth. He just pictures like a bunch of. He basically pitch, pictures a bunch of Starfleet officers prancing around a maypole. <laughs> I don't know what what films or what record tapes or whatever he's been watching, but uh, it's you know that's not what ends up happening. <laughs> <laughs> One soccer game, and he goes home. No, I know everything I need to know about humans. Thank goodness there wasn't a soccer game though, because the uh, the Irish guy would have just. <laughs> Uh, whole other level there. Everyone seems continuously amazed that they found an Earth-like planet, even though they oh, found yeah. one with the same continents a week ago and didn't care, yep. or a few weeks ago, I guess. But now it's like, ooh, look, green grass and, and water. Wow. Look, what are no, the other, no other planet ever has this. <laughs> you sure about that? Yes! <laughs> uh, you, you pointed out the stock footage. There was a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of stock footage. A lot of it very clumsily inserted, too. Like, yeah. Oh, no, a tiger. <laughs> And then cut to a tiger in a whole different location. Yep. I kept expecting to see, like, the, the, the footage of the old ladies clapping from Python. <laughs> That's about the quality of it. Oh, no. An airplane. <laughs> that was at least, you know, like, in the sky. Yep. You could have guys looking up at the sky, and as long as there's no cloud cover, you know, as long as it looks roughly the same. Yeah, it's all right. Fair enough. Yeah, but other than that. And then they start uh, running away, like, north by northwest. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that Kirk's fantasies are in order. Bone that chick from the Academy and punch the guy who picked on me 15 years ago. I love that when they first arrive, you know, we don't sort of know the rules of the planet yet, but like they're, they've been there for about 10 minutes and Sulu finds a gun. <laughs> so he's just walking around. That means he most, wished for it. Yeah, exactly. He's just walking around the most beautiful planet ever. You know what this planet really needs? A gun. <laughs> and not a phaser. I mean a gun, like a 20th century the- gun. I want I want a police revolver that I can shoot something with. <laughs> now I I do like this has been a consistent thing with Sulu and I think it will be consistent throughout everything, which is I hate to say that this is uh, above and beyond for them to be consistent with a character, but it really kind of is. Yeah. Um. But his his love of old war things, old weapons <laughs> and old vehicles. He really likes like old ships and helicopters and guns and swords and he's just he's really into that stuff and i think that's really cool that that fits for me for a for a young military guy yeah that's that's very cool and it's like when he's look out captain a samurai <laughs> yeah that was that was a little, uh, <laughs> a little much. Uh, uh, not not a not a terrible episode not a great episode like i say just it needed a little more to it it was just yeah it, it could be we've seen so many holodeco's wrong episodes that just we saw exactly what was happening 10 minutes in. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it had its moments. We, we, you know, we had some laughs. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was not a good episode, but it was a fun episode. Right. Which is all we really expect. If it's not yeah. going to be well-written and, and, you know, deep and, and profound, at least it can be goofy and ridiculous and fun. Uh, I'm fine with, uh, with bones just flipping out. <laughs> yeah. That would, that's really it. And, uh, I think we're both uh, on record as saying that uh, I, Bones is my favorite character in this crew. I don't know about yeah. you, but uh, definitely way up there. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, watching him be able to not exactly chew the scenery, but but play some comedy is nice. Yeah, it, you got to see a lot of like the crew when they're not when they're just sort of you know the crew rather than sort of like you know we're in the middle of a crisis or whatever. Yeah, I always enjoy that on on all the Star Trek series. I like it in, in Next Gen where they would do mm. an entire episode of what people do on their day off. Yeah. And I hate the television convention, and I'm pretty sure it's still there, where there has to be danger. There has to yeah. be some threat, some looming thing. Like, you really just can't show an hour of everyone doing interesting character stuff. And, you know, no. you, could, you could still put plenty of drama in there. I mean, it doesn't have to be oh, boring. Yeah. But, no, they, they have to they have to be – like, their lives have to be at stake or, mm. you know. 
this is all fine and everything, but, you know, make an explosion. Have someone have to crawl through a Jeffrey's tube. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. All right. Any, anything else on this one? Or? Um, I think that's it. All right. Uh, so uh, back to Balance of Terror. In the, future, in the future, future, Earth will fight an entire nuclear war with an alien species that we never even get a good look at. What a jip. All right. In the future. In the future. In the future. Still going to want to have a handgun when we're in it whenever man comes to the forest. <laughs> the most dangerous game is man, Matt. Yes. Turns <laughs> out it's man. Nope. Most be- uh, beautiful planet. Still kind of want to shoot stuff. <laughs> Blow it up real good. Um... <laughs> My my quote of the episode for Balance of Terror is the really, really obvious, but still, you know, not a cliche yet, quite awesome. I regret that we meet in this way. You and I are of a kind in a different reality. I could have called you friend. Great. Just just great. Always, always enjoy that. Spot, Kirk's going to run to a lot of people who are not so different, you and I. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, this is the first time. It's not a. It's not been run into the ground yet. And I like the wording of that. I like yeah. another reality. I could have called you friend. Like that's mm. that's kind of poetic and kind of nice. It's very, very Star Trek. Yeah. I really enjoy that. And hearing it come out of Mark Lennard's mouth is great. Um, Buck's dad, he plays the first of the true like ridgy headed Klingons he's just he's he's a cornerstone of Star Trek and uh, mm. I can't wait to see him again uh you got a quote for the other one yep uh on the exact opposite end of the spectrum we have this good I got a personal grudge against that rabbit Jim <laughs> which sums up everything about this episode you need to know <laughs> enough said <laughs> All right we actually have some mail and I apologize uh, especially to our friend in Australia Daniel who um Sent us some mail something like two or three weeks ago. Uh, I lost it. I deleted it. Uh, <laughs> then I forgot about it. Um, now it's in a uh, disused lavatory with a sign that says, beware of the leopard. I apologize. <laughs> but Daniel, finally here is, is your letter. Uh, hello, Alamat. I finally broke and need to ask a Star Trek question. Putting aside humans, what is your favorite race in Star Trek and why? Uh, he's got another question here, but let's uh, let's address this one first. That is a toughie. In the overall, like, entire tapestry of Star Trek, I would probably say the Cardassians. Yeah. Or, they were just great bad guys. Or possibly the Changelings. I mean, obviously, obviously it's something from DS9, because I fucking adore yeah. that show. But uh, I'm, I'm going to say the Changelings, actually, because the more I thought about that, the more I thought this is the most truly alien species they've ever done. They're... The way they think is informed by their biology. They think of, like, they don't trust the solids and they, they don't, they trust each other because they can all sort of merge together. Mm-hmm. But they're a collective intelligence that's also nothing like the Borg. It just, it was, it was a really cool idea that they really did a lot of great stuff with. So I'm going to change my answer and say the change, please. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm a big Ferengi fan. Really? Yep. I was a lot actually... of people w- are not going to agree with that, but, uh, well, I mean, in, in next gen, you know, in, in DS9, I mean, yeah, next when gen, they're, and, and in fairness, I mean, in the original, like in, in the series we're doing now, the original series, the Klingons weren't super great. Next gen yeah. really picked them up and dusted them off and made sense of them. And yeah. in that regard, the Ferengi started in next gen, but they really got great in DS9. Like they've had a chance to really flesh it out and make it make sense. And yeah, so you should judge them on their, their best appearance, which is, which is there. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the Ferengi centric episodes on DS9. I really enjoyed Quark. And I liked those guys in the background. Mm. Whenever they did an entire episode just about them and they'd go back to their home planet, and it's like, 
Come on. When are we going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> I also always like the look of the Andorians, although I can't remember ever seeing an episode that featured them. Uh, they will be in Journey to Babel, I believe, which is oh, that's right. when Sarek shows up and there's like a di- diplomatic thing and there's a bunch of different aliens. Yeah. I don't oh, know. and the pig aliens. Uh, the the Tellarites, yeah, who are actually a founding member of the Federation, apparently, even though we never s- see them in anything. How sad for them. <laughs> Um, I, I think we should also be forced to answer this question in the in the uh, context of the show that we're watching now. So, so you picked Andorians, or did you pick Andorians? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with the easy answer and and say Vulcans. But really, in that you know, Next Gen was really about making sense of the Klingons, and DS9 was about making sense of the Bajorans and the Ferengi. This is the show where you learn all about Vulcan. You go mm-hmm. back to Vulcan, you learn about their, you know, like you, you, over the course of the three years and then the movies, you really get in their heads and you learn about what they're about. And I like mm-hmm. that. And I, I really, you know, in, in the classic series, the, the Vulcans are awesome. I mean, easy answer, low hanging fruit, but still great. Yeah. We uh, don't sort of spend nearly as much time with other alien races in, uh, in original series as we will in the later ones, you know? And mostly that's, be- I imagine, for budgetary reasons. Like, Oh, yeah. You know, you can't <laughs> you can't have a bunch of it. Like, they, they get around it, like, with the helmets. Yeah, well, again, we only have three sets of pointed ears. Right. So only two of you can have pointed ears. And you know what, Mark Leonard, keep those on. We'll bring you back as a Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, Dan's other question is, uh, also I thought I would throw a little Star Trek knowledge your way, as you wondered if Gary Mitchell was ever used again. He's appeared in another Star Trek-related story, a comic which crosses over Star Trek and X-Men, otherwise known as Star Treks, with an X. Oh. And he writes Shudder as well. He should. Yeah. Uh, read at your own risk. Remember, I'm not recommending it. I'm just showing you the path. That comic had one good moment in it, and it's when Kirk comes in and goes, Dr. McCoy and Bones and Beast both look and go uh, look up and go, yes? <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um Next, uh, next mail, actually not a question, just a, just a, a clarification comes from our pal, Bruton Andy. Uh, and he writes on episode six, you mentioned the Majel Barrett tribute card at the end of the last episode on disc. I just finished a season three disc today and that card showed up at the end of the last episode there too. I can't remember for certain, but I think it shows up on every remastered disc in that same spot. Oh, very well. Well, I mean, she was everywhere. She touched yeah. every part of Star Trek and she deserves as much tribute as you can possibly give her. So mm. that's, that's cool. Um, final one comes from Deke Winsome, another, uh, another longtime writer of our other show. Um, he says the little alien kids ship in Corbomite maneuver seem to have a plethora of curtains, curtains everywhere. It's a motif that's carried on through with Star Trek In Star Trek six Starfleet's briefing room is just a big room with a lot of curtains. What's up with all the curtains? <laughs> uh, I, I can, I can answer this. It's an easy way to make a set look like to shoot in a closet and make it look like you're somewhere, uh, exotic. Yep. Uh, actually between the look of the kid and the curtains, it reminded me a lot of, what was that movie? The Littlest Emperor? I don't know. Oh, the, uh, w- the one with the, uh, reincarnation of, of Buddha? Yeah, I think so. Like Little Buddha? Yeah. Uh, very well. Um, and, it, and he goes on, uh, wasn't it a little creepy when the one Starfleet guy said he'd stay with the alien kid? It always gave me a weird vibe when I watched it as a kid. Like, maybe they'd be exchanging more than just cultural information. No one's exchanging anything with that kid. With Clint Howard, no. Also, no. I don't think he's a kid. I think they just cast a kid because he looked weird. He had a big, weird, bulbous head. Yeah. He's he's like a naturally occurring uh, Telosian, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Complete with forehead throb. Yes. 
As for the menagerie, well, Spock does have a bit of a habit of doing weird stuff. Wait till the Pon Far episode. Hey, no spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Pike, aren't you glad you don't share the same destiny as that poor bastard? <laughs> well, uh, I think I will answer beep for yes. <laughs> he does uh, get to go to the fuck planet, though, yeah, so this he has is, that going for him. This is true, and we've seen all, the, all that that entails many, mm-hmm. many, many times. A <laughs> uh, couple, couple other things I wanted to mention real quick. Um... I was on Twitter yesterday, and uh, Simon Pegg, the, the great Simon Pegg nerd icon, uh, played Scotty in the new movie. Um, just before he signed off for the night, like it was, I don't know, after midnight in the UK, um, he's like, "Oh, uh, good night, everyone. Uh, before I go, take a look at this. Bye." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, what's this? I'll just click this here." Apparently, it's the teaser poster for the new movie. Oh, which there's not much to it. It's a picture of the Enterprise. That's it. Yeah, and it, it just says Star Trek. It's got the logo, and it says Summer 2012. But, but you know uh, what? Yeah, it's it's the uh, it's my wallpaper now because yeah, awesome. Thank you. I and you know I the the website said they weren't sure if it was real blah 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 but the fact that Simon Pegg linked to it tells me he probably did yeah. something and it's it's probably cool. So. Yeah. And again, nothing nothing to it, just the Enterprise. But yeah, and, but if you can believe anyone, you can believe Simon Pegg. Yeah, I uh, I'm st- I mean. We've said this a million times. We'll say it a million more times. So looking forward to that movie. Oh yeah. Whenever it comes out, we're probably gonna. Ignore whatever episode comes up that week and uh, just yeah. talk about that. And then probably forever after that. Mm. Uh, one, <laughs> Sorry, the rest of Star Trek. Yeah, sorry, every, everything else. But uh, this is new, finally. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, one uh, one final thing. I don't know how long this is going to last. I, it, I, I'm pretty sure it's not legit. But for the moment, there is a website where you can watch all of Star Trek online for nothing. Uh, it's watchtrek.com. Yeah. And uh, it's got all the series. It's got every episode. I, I checked it out and uh, seems to be pretty cool. I, I, again, don't know how long it's going to be there. Yeah, enjoy it while it lasts. God knows I will. Yeah. Uh, but but for now, that's uh, that's very cool. Um, and that's all for us. Uh, coming up, uh, starting next week for the next few weeks after, we're going to be bringing guests on and doing three episodes uh, per podcast. Mm-hmm. Those will be a little longer uh, to cover the extra episode, but... Uh, should be should be a good time. Anything else, Matt? Uh, no, I think that's it. All right. We will talk to you next time. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 